The most interesting man in the world was an advertising campaign for Dos Equis beer. Today's guest, Richard Garriott, is not only more interesting, but if he had a cologne named after him, it would be called Success. This episode is brought to you by the Podcast Services Division at Lifestuff Media. Having your own podcast allows you to creatively reach all types of audiences, from clients to prospects, to your most loyal membership base. And by utilizing studio affiliates located around the world, coupled with quality remote recording capabilities, Lifestuff Media makes having a corporate podcast easier than ever before. Contact us for a no-obligation consultation at info at lifestuff.com or visit lifestuff.com to learn more. This is Life's Tough, but explorers are tougher. I'm your host, Richard Weiss. If you're new to Life's Tough, I'd like to welcome you and tell you a little about myself and the show. First of all, I love the outdoors. I always have, and I always will. And I've also been surrounded by explorers my entire life. My father, Richard Weiss Sr., was the first man to solo the Pacific Ocean in an airplane. The New York Times called him the Lone Eagle of the Pacific. Some of my fondest memories were standing out on our lawn underneath the stars with my father telling me how explorers use the stars to navigate. I guess we talked about a few other things as well. And speaking of talking, I host a television show called Born to Explore, It's on PBS stations around the country, so please check it out. And finally, I've been president of the world-famous Explorers Club. Just about every great explorer of the 20th and 21st century has been a member, including Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Jane Goodall, Theodore Roosevelt. Some people say it's like Harry Potter's Hogwarts, only for adults. I've heard stories that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You see, explorers are the type of people who walk in space, go to the bottom of the ocean, and stand on the highest summits. Scratch the surface of any explorer, and you'll find they're all storytellers. This show is about their tales. Uh, Greetings to you wherever you are in the world. I hope you're well. If you ever look at the night sky... There are always some stars that seem to shine a little brighter than others. The same holds true for the world of exploration. Our guest today is astronaut and newly minted president of the Explorers Club, Richard Garriott. If you listen to our previous Richard Garriott podcast, you learned that not only was Richard one of the pioneers of private space flight and the first father-son in space, Skylab astronaut Owen Garriott was his father, but created a video game empire seemingly to support his exploration habit. Richard Garriott, or as your mother used to call you, Unique Richard, welcome to the show. Hey, Richard, other Richard. It's good to be back with you. It's funny for, um, you know, many people who don't know us, you and I have this sort of Laurel and Hardy routine when we call each other on the phone, and it usually goes, hi, Richard. And, you know, Richard, (laughs) Richard? exactly. Yeah, Richard, Richard. 
Indeed, yeah. In fact, uh, uh, I, I think every, I think those of us are, are our friends at the club are probably uh, rather tired of that banter. But uh, unfortunately, I think they're going to get a few more years of it. So th- the last time you were on this podcast, uh, you were in the news and uh, for allegedly smuggling the ashes of Scotty from Star Trek into space. Now you're in the news once again, and this time for being the first man to have flown into space and also go to the bottom of the ocean. So congratulations. And had that come about? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. No, well, uh, uh, yes, as you were careful to say the first man to have gone space to the deep. And that's because one of our dear colleagues, uh, Kathy Sullivan, was the first person to go from space to deep. Uh, uh, She was actually expected to beat me by only about a week's time uh, we were actually going to be doing dives basically back to back, but there was a uh, started on her for an actually on her dive and they tried to do one dive in between us uh, and had some hardware tr- trouble with the submarine or the submersible. And so they had to send it back in to do uh, some refurbishment. But uh, but that meant it was about a six month delay before I finally got to dive. Just recently completed that. Uh, and uh, 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 and now I've not only become the first man to have gone space to deep. But, uh, but I'm actually the first person who's now done the four extremes of exploring the Earth from North Pole to South Pole, orbiting above it in space, and have dove to its deepest depths. So, and, and, uh, and just for those who are not familiar with the deepest point um, in the ocean, you know, maybe you could tell them a little about that unique, uh, unique geographic location. Yes, exactly. So we went down uh, about 10,925 meters, to be close to exact. Uh, in, under the Pacific, uh, into the Pacific, at uh, a place called the Mariana Trench, and a specific spot called the Challenger Deep. And uh, quite some time ago, there was a a, a tall ship that uh, had gone out and was sounding with the weights and ropes the depths of the world's ocean, and found this place uh, referred to as the Challenger Deep. The ship was called the Challenger, and uh, and it, that that place, which is out a couple hundred miles south of Guam in the Pacific is where the Pacific plate and the, uh, uh, the Philippine plate meet and are pushing against each other. And then, then pushing against each other is kind of folding one down and the Pacific plate is being subducted under the Philippine plate. That's not only creating the volcanic islands of the Philippines and Japan up and down that coast, uh, it's about 1500 miles long, this Mariana Trench. And the deepest point uh, is called the Challenger Deep. And so uh, it's almost seven miles down uh, below the surface of, uh, in the Pacific. So w- when you and I were growing up, it seemed like the paradigms of science as we knew it was there were nine planets, which we, we know is no longer true, even within our own little space, and that life seemed to exist in a very narrow band between below boiling, above freezing, and the oceans, as, as I remember, it seemed like it was these lifeless, deep areas that were devoid of life. How, how have those paradigms uh, shifted? Well, those you, know, you, you, you enumerated those boundaries very well. And every one of those boundaries has now been not just exceeded, but we've actually uh, shown that life is actually uh, plentiful uh, beyond those boundaries quite significantly. The, the, the one... The one boundary that so far had required is still required. It still seems to be needed for life is the existence of water. And so uh, it turns out, however, that 
that as long as you have that water, that water can be way above 100 degrees Celsius boiling point as long as there's pressure to keep it from physically boiling. Uh, the chemistry, and we now know we, there are life that lives in high acidity, very high uh, base content. Uh, there's uh, creatures that live in the ice that are called cryogenic extremophiles that live uh, 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 right at the interface between the Arctic and Antarctic rock or seawater. Uh, where life flourishes. Uh, there is, uh, uh, there's even life now found inside the water, inside of um, nuclear power plants. There's even life that is hardened well enough to survive in those places. And so when we were down at the deep, one of the questions was, is what life are we going to find down there? And it turns out that even though Wikipedia still says the, the deepest life form known is, I think they, it says it's the snail fish that goes down to like 8,000 meters, well, there are fish all the way down to 10,000 or almost 11,000 meters. And so uh, uh, if you put some bait down there in the bottom, which we did, uh, there's a whole colonies, many, you know, thousands and thousands of amphipods that will surround the bait that you put down there. Uh, there's uh, uh, extremophile bacterium that live in the, in the mud and silts. Uh, it's actually, it's really quite a bountiful place for life. You know, it's interesting because your um, initial uh, entree into exploration was through your father, Owen Garriott. You grew up with astronauts all around you. You wanted to be an astronaut as a kid. You helped, one of the people helped create the uh, private um, uh, space uh, flight because you had an eye condition that didn't allow you to go to space. So, you know, space seemed like everything in your being was pointed towards that direction. What was the attraction to the Mariana Trench for you? Well, you know, what's interesting about exploring and, and what I discovered that I liked about exploring, you know, starting from the, you know, my first exploration memory was when uh, we were on a family road trip around the country and I found a little cave out behind this motel we were in and I went in with a pack of matches to discover this magical probably closet space giant cavern and uh 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 and it is the getting into these places of awe and wonder that seem that are on the one hand near enough by to reach but on the other hand seem so alien and far away i find those to be mystical magical and inspiring in a wide variety of ways and and pretty early on i learned something i learned from my my father and really frankly both my parents was also the a little difference from the old Boy Scout adage. You know, in the Boy Scouts, we always had the thing of when you're when you're on a hike, you know, take nothing but pictures, leave nothing but footprints. And you know, my dad had another one that was, don't forget to bring back scientific samples. And uh, uh, so we did take a little more. But uh, uh, and we we started doing that even as a young age. We would learn like, hey, you're in Yosemite with all the geysers. Well, that green scum there that's on the edge that people thought was inert. Turns out that's life forms. Let's take a little scoop in a, even if all you have is pour out an Avion water bottle and scoop up some water, let's send that to the lab and see what we find. You know, and so, oh, sorry. Yeah, Richard. no, go ahead. Please, no, I've been doing I, I was about to life. say, I, I've actually witnessed that firsthand with you. You and I were on a fossil dig and uh, we were at a layer, an iridium layer, which um, if anybody uh, knows anything about um the extinction of dinosaurs when an asteroid hit uh, the Yucatan Peninsula, there was this layer of shocks court, quartz and iridium that happened. And I remember you taking a little vial, glass vial, or I think it was glass or plastic vial, and putting samples of that for your Richard Garriott Curios 
collection that I think that you have in every place that you call home. No, that's exactly right. And so uh, uh, it was a it was a plastic container. It still is downstairs right here. And uh, and yes, and that's to me that's part of the story. And so uh, you know one of the one of the cabinets of cabinets of curiosities that I have here at the house is sort of the the history of life on this planet. And and anytime I can find another little piece to fit in between the pieces that I have to can to make the story more complete or more detailed, uh, the more I appreciate it. And so. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a that unique uh, isotope of radioactive uni- iridium that's in there that uh, I have other radioactive materials in that same collection and a little Geiger counter to go check it all out with. So yeah, it's a it's part of the continuous story of of of, of the awesome uh, environment we live in. So speaking of awesome, you know, becoming a father is a pretty awesome experience, and I know you're you're very close to your children, but. You know, if you reflect upon the combination of things that made, as your mother used to say, unique Richard, is that you had a, a father with a, very much an engineering mind and your mother with uh, an artistic mind. And that, that's, to me, that's almost a perfect blend to raise a kid. If a kid has curiosity and they can view things as an engineer and as an artist, that's a really nice meld that makes somebody maybe like Steve Jobs or or or, or yourself. Now... Has that equation changed for you being a father? Because you had to get by on a lot of creativity as a kid. Astronauts don't make a huge amount. And so creativity becomes part of the formula for making you who you are. How do you now, when you're raising kids, kind of, you know, everybody always kind of relates of how they were raised as a kid. And you're raising your kids part in New York City, part in Europe. You know, how has that equation changed for you and uh, your wife, Leticia? Yeah, well, the good news for our, our kids is is we don't have the exact same pairing, but we have a similar pairing, you know, in the sense of, um, you know, well, while I might represent both the sides of passion for art and science, the, what, what the part, the piece that I'm missing is the, uh, uh, is part of the conservative business strategy, which my wife represents. And so, you know, one of the reasons I was so successful as a game maker is I was partnered with my brother and my brother uh, was an engineer. So we knew the engineering side about as well as I did, but he also had uh, a master's degree in business and had worked in, in finance companies before we went to, into business together. And so that pairing for us to succeed in business, you really have to have all that together. If you're going to it's one thing to be able to make a grand piece of art, but as I discovered, unless you are partnered with a business person who can also retain your rights and knows how to sell it and make sure that they put the boundaries on, you know, you better get it out by this date because the bank account will be empty if we don't finish by this certain time. You know, the those are those are skills you also need. And so, uh, you know, my wife has those in complement to me. We make it. We have a we partner on all the kind of investing that we do together and a lot of the business things we do. We do it together. And my kids are already clearly learning from both of us where they, they know dad is the super creative one that they'll go have fun with. But they also know that, you know, when it comes time to uh, to make sure that we're going to be able to do all these things, somebody better be in there planning the details properly. And my wife is uh, is much better than I am about making sure all the things line up properly. Listen, your, your wife, Letitia, also buys into the art, too, because I've been and again, for those who are unaware Richard has an alter ego. It's called Lord British. And Lord British 
was born. What year was Lord British born, Richard? Oh, I don't even know. We'd never say that. He's from another planet. So All right. Well, Lord British was part of his ultimate uh, game videos. And Richard, um, occasionally for fun, dresses as Lord British, his kids as well. And this is really where I find the salesmanship in Richard comes in. His wife has bought into it and dresses as someone very exotic. I don't I don't know what character she would be in one of your games, but your wife definitely has to have a sense of humor about that stuff. Oh, no question. Well, in fact, her her name in my most recent game is Arabella. And so uh, uh, she, she, she actually named her, she chose her own name and she chose it after the name of the spider that my father took up on Skylab. So that's where the name comes from. But uh, 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 but yes, well, not only does she dress in medieval garb when uh, <laughs> the family travels into those particular exotic lands, but as you also know well, when we go to the Explorers Club annual dinners, we you know maybe half the time we'll wear normal tuxedos when we haven't found the right inspiration, but at least half the time we will come uh, dressed as we have been inspired by recent exploration activities, and they can be literal like uh, costumes of. Uh, the native dress of some of the places we visited, or it can be even more fanciful. Like after we had done some Arctic exploring uh, and we didn't want to just come in, you know, in, in, in fur overcoats, you know, we, we dressed much more fancifully like the runway with ice crowns and, uh, you know, white and makeup with the sparklies all over our faces. So, I mean, we, we, we have very loose interpretations of black tie. You know, I was trying to describe um, you to somebody the other day, and I said, you know, Richard's my blue sky friend. I said, whatever I can blue sky, in other words, think of the big idea, not only can Richard think of a bigger idea, but he also, in the same sentence, will tell you how you can legitimately implement it. So what is the blue, big blue sky? Now you've been to space, been to the bottom of the ocean, you're raising super creative kids. You got the the the, the trophy wife at the first go of, of marriage, you know. So what's next, Richard? Well, you know the the good news that you fundamentally obviously know as well as I do is that this planet that we live on, first of all, has vast areas that remain to be explored, and 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 interestingly, and it's not just the obvious places like you know eighty percent of the ocean is still unexplored. Even on the even on the surface, you, 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 even on the deserts of this earth, as the sand dunes roll by, they're exposing lost ancient cities that were lost under the sand thousands of years ago that are that some of our colleagues are still finding to this day. So there's there's still just tons of things to find right here on terra firma. But obviously, you also know that I'm I'm really very much interested in space, and and I have been so frustrated since the retirement of Apollo, which was when my dad flew that we have been stuck in low earth orbit for a long, for the rest of my life, for 30, 30 more, more than 30 years, almost 40 years. And, uh, uh, and the, uh, the thing I'm particularly excited about is not only are we seeing this move back out to the moon and beyond, but we're seeing it led by private industry, not just governments. In fact, this, this upcoming year is the first time the majority of manifests, the majority of people manifested to fly into space are flying privately, not as a government astronaut. And uh, and when I talked to folks like Elon, uh, which is literally just a couple weeks ago, he said, yeah, that- uh, That would be Elon only- Musk, just so people, you know, if they didn't realize who Elon was, that's Elon yes. Musk. Go ahead, Richard. Elon Musk, he was saying, yeah, even the, 
the non the non-published data about what's further beyond that year out he's going like yeah this trend appears to him to be continuing that the increase in private exploration or commercial exploration taking over from government-led exploration is going to continue and i'm very bullish on that i helped bring that industry into existence i would like to believe and uh, uh, and 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 I believe our future as humanity is as a multi-planet species, as a species that will live, you know, in space permanently and on other planetary bodies permanently, and eventually will even move beyond the solar system in the grand scheme of time. But um, but I'm very hopeful that here in our lifetimes and and very much right at the core of my of our kids' uh, time on this planet, they'll have the option to live on other planets. Richard, you're going to be presiding over, I guess, best describe it as the Davos of exploration in Portugal in July. You know, what, what are your sort of hopes that the rest of the world sees about science and exploration from an event like this? Well, one of the things I think that the club has been particularly good at, but this event will uh, punctuate uh, to or, 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 or make uh, this more true for the general public than we've been able to do uh, previously at the Explorers Club is show how the, the combination of, of the importance of exploration and uh, what, what, what can be explored and how that is now being done, kind of the, 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 uh, the how this is being accomplished these days. So those are kind of three fronts. Uh, you, you know, I, th I think people are coming around, you know, science has been I think battered for uh, some years, but I think people are now coming around to the importance of a scientific understanding of the reality in which we live and, and how that matters, not just to the hypothetical science you need to make a cell phone, but in the practical science of what it's gonna take to survive on the planet. And so uh, I think people are recognizing that. Then part two, showing them that, you know, by the way, there are still so many things we don't know about this planet. Like uh, for us as explorers, you know, we've been hearing about microplastics in all the water on earth now for maybe a decade. But, you know, while people are hearing this story about people are now understand, I think broadly that climate change is a big issue. Well, to me, right behind that is plastics. You know, we now have, you know, plastic feeding into the bottom of our food chain, working its way up the food chain in ways that will be very hard to address. And, uh, and, and is just now really being studied deeply. Uh, and then you go to the that third prong I mentioned, which was, how are we doing this? And I think, People, again, for maybe a decade have, uh, especially if you're an explorer, you know, have understood that, you know, the value of satellite telemetry to understand things like weather or how uh, crops are growing uh, uh, and stresses on crops around the world. But people may not have been as familiar with these wonderful technologies that are coming online now, like what I recently got a chance to ride with our Explorer Scub medalist, uh, Victor Vescovo, in his submer submersibility built called Limiting Factor, which is the first vehicle that has been able to, to make full ocean dive depths anywhere on the, on the world. Um, now has, I don't mean, they're up to 60, 70 dives now, I think, in total. And, uh, uh, and, and this capability, and like it, there's others like it. I was another one of our fellow members, uh, Alan Eustace, who did a space dive. I literally had an email exchange with him recently where and he's, he's helping to build submarines uh, or automated uh, uh, autonomous ocean vehicles to help map the oceans again. And so, you know, anyway, there's, we just have explorers building and using extraordinary technologies to go find ways to bring back the data and inspiration we need 
from you know the every corner on earth much less the new you know final frontier of space yeah and, and i've also heard you uh talk about when you talk about um science communication which i know is important to you but you've also talked about you know the diversity of exploration and when we say diversity that you know westerners european americans like ourselves aren't the only ones with unique ideas and i know that that's been something that's personally been very important to you yeah and it well again what i think is exciting about this moment in time is that uh, you know for even us as an ex- as the explorers club you know we we started you know back in 1904 as a gentleman's club uh, you know, it, it took us longer than it probably should have to, you know, welcome in the other half of explorers on the planet. Um, but still, you know, most history books of those of the golden age of exploration in the turn of last century, you know, as still uh, are really very heavily biased towards the European explorer or and country that was funding often often those uh, those expeditions. What we're now learning is, first of all, even for those trips. Uh, the people who did the real work were not those uh, wealthy Europeans that paid for it. The people that actually did most of the hard work and actually much of the discovery uh, were the uh, indigenous or regional people who lived closest to the place that was being explored and already sort of knew it well, like the back of their hand. And we, we, we're not only celebrating those people much more appropriately now than we used to, but what we're finding now and this recent work that actually you helped lead with this Explorers Club 50 uh, uh, program they put together last year uh, really showed us that if we do one simple thing, which is to instead of focusing on the oldest generation who has accomplished the most and you, you know give them hooray for climbing or whatever it is that they've done, uh, if instead we look to the younger generation, that is the people who are really now solving these, we have really grand challenges as a planet right now that we are facing. It is the young generation that is going to bring back the science and the understanding and and be the people to inspire all of humanity to to address these these grand challenge issues. So if we if we just go, who are those people that are doing that best work? By definition, they're all over the planet. By definition, they're therefore from every culture. By definition, they're therefore of both genders and every ethnicity. And they're all amazing people. And so that simple switch uh, uh, I think has, uh, has, has shown us a, a really bright light as to, uh, uh, not, not only the diversity of ex- exploration and explorers themselves, but also on, uh, you know, that, the, that there really are great, you know, despite the world's troubles, there are great positive examples of people working very hard to, to solve problems, great and small. I couldn't agree more. And Richard, thank you so much for not only coming on the show, but you know, you make exploration and science exciting. You make it accessible. And, and, you know, life has, you know, life is tough sometimes, but it, it's always great to know that there's someone out there just, you know, trying to sort of put a new spin on it and make it fun and lively and relevant for everybody. So thank you very much for being a guest today. Oh, you're very kind, Richard. I appreciate it very much. I'm happy to come back anytime. You, oh, I will definitely have you. Okay, Richard, thanks. Welcome. Every great expedition has to come to an end, but that doesn't mean we can't stay in touch. Send us your favorite expedition pictures and tell us about your most memorable journeys, large or small. All right, 
get something to write with. Here are my coordinates. www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. One more time. www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. That's it for today. Hope to see you out on the trail.